This is our, we're going to start the sermon. This is our, how many weeks? Fifth week, correct. And we are talking about the power of the blood of Jesus, right? We started our first week and we talked about what? Forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. By the way, if you can keep up with this, this is going to be great. Hopefully, if we can even get the titles and the scripture reference, if you can keep up with that for the next few weeks, I think by the end of it, you'll have good, you know, um, good, good information, good amount of information about the scriptural teaching about the blood of Jesus. So first week, it is um, forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. The scripture was from Hebrews chapter 9. When we said without the bloodshed, there is no forgiveness of sin, right? Second week, we talked about... You, it's, it's a competition. I need you to step it up. It's a, there is no, you know, put everyone in front of each other here. <laughs> Forget the Christian love for now. <laughs> Correct. Entering into the holy places. And um, the scripture reference was from Hebrews chapter 10. We have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, right? Week three and four, we talked about. Your turn. The blood of the covenant, exactly. And we say this is the blood of the covenant. There's six different scripture uh, in the Bible that talks about that, that connects the blood of Jesus to the new covenant. Just to say one example, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, which we're going to share later today, he said, this is my blood for that new covenant that was shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. But again, there is six, uh, five more different references in the New Testament that links um, the blood of Jesus to the new covenant. It's the foundation, it's the only way by which we can enter into a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus. Amen? All right. For the next few weeks, we're kind of going to talk about um, a couple of things, a couple of benefits that we have in the blood of Jesus, and they're kind of connected. So they're independent in ways, but they're connected as well. So on the first page in your notes, um, you're going to see that probably in the next four or five weeks, the general theme that we're talking about is that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Okay? Now, the word redeemed in Greek is actually litron. You don't have to remember it, but it's the word litron. And it comes from the root leteo or something like that. So the word leteo means basically to loose, to, to set free. And the word litron literally means ransom money. The idea here is this. Here is the best analogy for it. Uh, have you seen one of these movies when, whatever, Mafia or Al Capone or whatever, one of these gangs kidnap a kid and call the parents and say, hey, we want you to give us a million dollars so we can give you back your son, right? So we call this money what? It's called ransom money, right? And the whole process is called redemption. So redemption literally means that you pay money. This is exactly how it goes. You pay the ransom money to the master so that the captives can go free. Okay? So that's what it is. So there is money payment and there is freedom for the, cap for the captives. And the whole process called redemption. You follow me? So redemption is to pay money to the master, pay ransom money to the master, cruel master, to set his captives free. 
And in the scripture, there is actually a lot of terminology that all fall under the bigger umbrella of umbrella of redemption that connects to the blood of Jesus. For example, there is four different words that were used in the Bible, still all under the big umbrella of redemption that connects us or connects redemption to the blood of Jesus. We read that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And that's Revelation 5.9. We were just singing this song earlier. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for what? Listen to this. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed. It depending on what translation. But the literal word here is purchased. Some translations say redeemed, some purchased, but the Greek word is actually literally purchased. You have purchased people for God um, from every type and language and people and nation. So the Bible says that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Remember, uh, redemption includes purchasing, paying money, right? So that's the scripture used that word specifically in connection to the blood of Jesus. But not only that, we have also been acquired by the blood of Jesus. This word is a little bit different than purchase, and it is used in Acts 20, 28. This is what Paul told the elders in the church of Ephesus right before he left them for good. He said, be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas to care for the church of God, which he has obtained. The word here means literally acquired. With his own blood. The word here, not the emphasis more on the process of the payment. It's more like on possessing us. Like Paul literally saying God has owned us, possessed us through payment. But the emphasis here that we are God's possession now. So um, we have been obtained by the blood of Jesus. Number three, it says that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. For, for example, multiple scriptures. First Peter 1 Peter 1.9, uh, but, but the precious blood of Jesus, you have not been redeemed. In, in 18, he says, you have not been redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold, but, but, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Hebrews 9, 12, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own, what? Blood, thus to securing what? Eternal redemption. In all this scripture, the Greek word literally means redemption. And finally, uh, we have been freed by the blood of Jesus. Remember again, redemption including, including paying, making payments and setting the captives free. So the Bible also used the word freed by the blood of Jesus. That's in Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler um, of kings on earth, to him who did what? Loved us and freed us from our sin by his blood. So every single week from now on, we're probably going to focus on one of these uh, scriptures. I'm just giving you uh, like an idea about how we're going to go for the next month or five weeks or so. You guys follow me so far, right? So different words connect the blood of Jesus to the redemption as whole or specific aspect of redemption. Amen? Questions? Good? Okay. We're going to start today by going through the first verse. We have been 
purchased by the blood of Jesus. That's our fourth benefit so far that we have in the blood of Jesus. We've been forgiven by the blood. We enter into the holy place by the blood. We enter into the covenant with God by the blood. And today we're going to talk about how we are purchased by the blood of Jesus. Amen? All right. So the word for purchased in Greek, actually, it's called agarazo. You don't have to worry about it. But the root word for it is agora. And agora literally means marketplace. That's what it says. So this word comes from literally marketplace where you do um, actual financial transactions. A buyer go, spend the money, get the goods, and leave. So this word in Greek purely talking about financial transaction, paying money to obtain something. And that's the word that was used multiple times in the scripture, maybe five or six times at least in the Bible that says that we have been purchased by God, okay? First example, 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says this, For you were bought, look at this, you have been bought with price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with price, again, Paul saying, For you were bought with a price, do not become bond servants of men. 2 Peter 2.1, Talking about false prophet, Peter said. But false prophet also are, um, arouse among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Talking about these false teachers, see what he says. Even denying the master who did what? Bought them. Bringing upon themselves which this swift destruction. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new, sing, a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, worthy are you, Lamb, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you have did what? You have purchased people to God our Father. And the last one was in Revelation 14, 3 to 4. This is what the scripture says. And they were singing a new song. That's the 144,000. Uh, singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been, what? Purchased, the Greek, the same word, purchased from the earth. They have been purchased again from mankind as first fruits for the Lord God and our Lamb. So, six times here, the Bible says that we have been, what? Purchased by the Jesus. By Jesus, correct. But only one time it gives us exactly what was paid for God to purchase us. And that's in Revelation 5, 6. It gives us the price. It says, uh, the only scripture, it says, You are worthy are you, Lamb, to take the scroll and open it for you. You were slain and you have purchased us. How? By your blood. So that's the only scripture that tells us what is the price. Paul talks about the price a couple of times in Corinthians, but he doesn't tell us what is it. But then flat out in Revelation, we know that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Amen? What a powerful scripture. We have been, say with me, purchased by the blood of Jesus. Again, if we look into this word a little bit. If you look at the Hebrew background for it, it doesn't do us good. It literally means a financial transaction. Okay, like somebody pays money, get the goods, end of story. That's all the times that... We see that word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament before, uh, before Christ. But when we look at how the Greek world was using that word around the time where the New Testament was uh, written, 
this word was used more specifically, it, it is used for financial transactions, but it was used more specifically when a master go to another master and pay money so that he can buy a slave from the first master and be transformed to the second master, okay? So this word literally means there is money paid so that there will be a transfer of ownership. You follow me? So it's specifically, again, one master, go to a different master, buy his slave, pays money, that's the word agarezo, so he can take that, ma that slave and become his own. So the word is not just referring to financial transaction, it does, but it also connects to a transfer of ownership. And that's the exact word that the Bible used six times to describe how we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. A price was paid so there can be a transfer of ownership. Amen? Now, this word was used, we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Paul said that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus from a couple of, well, it was, Paul used it four times. Here is where it was used. In Galatians 3.13, we read that scripture in the Hallelujah time. Christ has redeemed us. The word redeemed here literally is the same word, agorizo. He has purchased us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul used it again in Galatians 4, 5, talking about Christ. He's saying, when the fullness of time came... God sent his only son, his one and only son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem, to purchase, to transfer the ownership of those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. He used it again in Ephesians 5.16. He said, make the best use of time. That literally, purchase, redeem the time. Uh, you know, don't waste the time. Redeem the time, purchase the time. Because the days are evil. And finally in Colossians 4, 5. He said walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Again purchasing. Redeeming the time. So you do not waste it. Okay we're good so far. So recap before we move on. The word literally means what? Purchase means what? Transfer of ownership. That's very key. Okay there's a transfer of ownership. Involves all words in that word. This word was used how many times in the scripture? To talks about how we're being purchased by the blood six times, okay? Six times it says that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, amen? But specifically, if you narrow down to it, Paul kind of limited that word really to the law of God. When he used it, he said that we have been purchased from the curse of the law through Christ, right? He also said that when Jesus came down, he came down to purchase us, to transfer the ownership from the rulership of the law to him so he can be the Lord over us. Amen? For example, i just give you some heads up. Uh, we just were reading about redemption in the Hallelujah time. We read from Titus. Paul said that he has redeemed us from lawless works, right? And in Hebrew says that he has obtained eternal redemption or, or that Jesus, that has occurred to redeem the transgression of the old covenant. This word is not the exact same word like purchase. Okay, it's a different word we're going to study later. But the word purchase is limited mainly to the law. We're good? Transfer of ownership is mainly limited in the scripture to how Christ has bought us from the curse of the law, from the lordship, the ownership of the law. Okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We're good? Clear? 
move forward? Questions? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. How we have been purchased by the blood from the curse of the law, all right? Because Paul used it twice to say that. First of all, let's talk about the curse of the law. What is it? And then we're, talking, we're going to talk about how Christ has purchased us from the curse of the law by his blood. The curse of the law. Galatians 3.10 says this. For all who rely on the work of the law are under what? Are under a curse. Now this phrase is key. Let's say it all again together. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a Curse, for it is written, what is written? Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the work of the law. We mentioned this before when we talked about the just shall live by faith. We went back to Deuteronomy 27. That's when this scripture was quoted from. If you guys remember that, that what we said back then is this. In Deuteronomy 27, God has... Two mountains and a valley in between. One mountain called the Mount of Blessing and the other mount is the Mount of Curse. Six tribes stood in the Mount of Blessing and six tribes stood in the Mount of the Curse. And the Levites would cry out the law of God. And the Levites would say, Curse is everyone who steals something that is not his. And all the people, the twelve tribes say, Amen. The Levites will cry out and say, Curse is everyone who covet uh, his neighbor's wife. And all the tribes say, Amen. Curse is everyone who um, dishonor his father and his mother. And all the tribes say, Amen. And that is it. And the conclusion was this. The Levites cried out and said, Curse is everyone who does not abide by every single word in the law. And the whole people said, Amen. What we said before is this. There was no pronunciation of the blessing upon the people, right? We don't read in the scripture that the Levites cried out and said, Blessed are those who give the tithe to God. We don't read that. We don't read, Blessed is the one who truly honor his father and his mother. We don't read that. There is no blessing. And that was in purpose. Because what the scripture, what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us is the exact same phrase in Galatians 3.10 that we just read. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. What is that supposed to mean? That, that means this. If you fulfill the law of God, every single commandment, every single time, not miss one time, commit one sin. You know what? There's no blessing for you at the end. You just did what you are expected to do. On the flip side of that, if you miss one commandment, one time, you are under a curse. Remember what they say at the end? Cursed is the one who does not abide in what? All that it is written in the words of the law. When they said all, what is the percentage that they expected you and me to keep? 99%? If you keep 99.9% of the law, then guess what? You are under a curse. Why? Because you did not keep all the law. Does that make sense? Again, I was preaching yesterday, and I was, well, I was studying this, so I preached this almost something very similar. And I was telling them, imagine you work in one place for 30 years, and you have a mean boss. And this mean boss tells you, 8 o'clock, I want you on your desk. 8 o'clock, you're fired, okay? And you decide that you're going to do that. 
And for 30 single, 30 years, every single day, eight o'clock on the dot, you're sitting on your desk and you start working. Let me ask you a question. Do you expect after the end of 30 years that your boss will come to you and give you a thank you note? No, why? Because you did what was expected from you, right? This is the minimum. You wanna work for us? You need to be sitting on your desk at eight o'clock. Now, if one day you miss it and you show up at 8.10 and he forewarned you, 8.05, you're fired, then guess what? You're fired. Maybe he would be good to you, but at the end of the day, he have every single right to fire you. You know why? Because you missed it. But you missed it only once in 30 years. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. The law, the, the, the rules of the company says, eight o'clock, you're in your desk, eight or five, you're not, how many times? One time. They can fire you if they want to. And that's exactly what Paul was saying here. For those who want to reach out to God through their own good works, it is simple. It is very simple. You want to get to heaven in your own? It's not that hard, really. All what you have to do is keep all the commandments of God all the time. Don't sin one single time in one of the commandments. Because cursed is everyone who does not do what? Do all the, all the works of the law. Amen? You miss one time. Once, one commandment one time. And you're for all eternity under a curse from God. Do you guys see how heavy that curse is? Who can keep up with that cruel master? I know I can't. Can you? Nobody can. Cursed is the one who does not keep all the commandments of the law. James talked about that a little bit more in, in James 2, 10 to 11. Look at this. Here's what James said. For whoever keeps... Look, this is... Just sad. For whoever keeps the whole law, you keep the whole thing. You know how difficult that is? That's impossible. But let's say you do it. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, you just miss one thing. You just see your friend has a, has a nice card and you desire it just in your heart. That's it. That's all what's going to take you to be a sinner before God. But fails in one point has become accountable of what? All of it. You might have never committed an adultery or killed anybody or have murdered anybody or anything like that. You just covered it once, one time. You covered in somebody else's car or chair or pen or whatever. And guess what? Before God, you are a transgressor of all. That's what he says. Verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgression of the whole law. But you've never done it. It doesn't matter because you miss one point. You are under the eternal curse of that law. Amen? Bad news, isn't it? Isn't it? But this is how so many people try to reach out to God. They think, I'm going to do good works, and that would get me to heaven. Well, the requirement is not good works. The requirement is you need to be 100% pure, sinless. That's the only way that actually in heaven, you and holy God can actually be in one space. Amen? I use this analogy sometimes when I go out witnessing. When you go to a soda machine, a pop machine, and it says... $1.25 for a can of soda. Let's say Barb and me. We'll go there. Barb has 80 cents. 
and I have 10 cents. Which one of us you think will be able to get that can of soda? Neither one of us. Well, but she has eight times what I have. She has 80 cents and I have only 10. Shouldn't be she eligible at least? It doesn't work this way. You either have the 125, 124 won't cut it. You either have the 125 or you're just not going to get it, right? It doesn't matter if you have 124 and the person next to you has nothing. It doesn't matter. It's you either have it all or you don't have it at all. Right? And this is what it comes when it comes to you want to get to heaven in your own simple. Just keep the law all the time. Never sin one time in one commandments, and I promise you God will be okay with that. But the problem is nobody can keep the law. So far it has been bad news, right? But I have good news for you. Galatians 3:13. Can you say it out loud with me? Because this is finally some good news. Christ did what? Has redeemed us, has purchased us. From the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. That the blessing of Abraham might be transferred to us. He became a curse for us. Now, if you actually flip with me. Uh, Christ had become a curse for us. That's again another quote from uh, Deuteronomy 21. And the, the background of this in Deuteronomy 21. God is saying... If somebody transgressed the law and sin against me, and you want to make a public dispatch, uh, like display of that person, that this person really has angered me and has uh, broken my law. After you kill that person, you can hang him on a tree for a whole day. So this way, everybody can pass by, can know that this person is cursed by God. That's what it says in the Deuteronomy, that the one who's hanged on a tree is cursed by God. What does that mean? That means that this person, God was so angry with him that he struck him dead. He executed his judgment on him. And that's why he's being hung as a public display to the anger and the curse of God over sin. Okay? So that's what God intended for that scripture in the Old Testament. But God said in the Old Testament, when you do that, that's, that's actually the commandment in the Old Testament. He said, when you, hang, when you kill somebody and hang them on the tree to be a, a display and a sign that I am angry and um, not happy with that person and I executed my judgment, make sure by the evening time you take him off that tree and bury him so you do not defile the land. Again, in the Old Testament, uh, a dead body, a corpse, has ceremonially not clean, and you have, there's a lot of ritual if you touch a dead body. So God says, you have every right to hang a person in a tree after you kill them, just to make sure that everybody sees how angry I am with sin. If you ever decide to do that, just make sure you bury them by the evening. That's what God was saying. And the reason is that the one who's hung on a tree is cursed by God. God has executed his judgment and cursed that person. And we know it for sure because he's hung on a tree. It's a display to everybody. Now, that's the scripture that Paul quoted in Galatians chapter 3. He said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, has purchased us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. In this page, look under the word note, if you had probably the last page. I have the two scriptures written. Deuteronomy 21, 23. For a hanged man is cursed by God. And then in Galatians 3, 13, the quote is, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Question for the masses. What is the part that Paul intentionally, or the Holy Spirit, guided Paul intentionally not to quote from the book of Deuteronomy? He quoted the whole thing. He just missed a little bit of it. 
Can you help me out? Like, I put the two scriptures back to, like, uh, on top of each other on the last page so it can be easy. I'll, I'll quote it again. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Everyone is hanged is cursed by God. And the quote in Galatians is this. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Do you know what is the part that Paul intentionally missed? He missed the words, by God. Right? In Deuteronomy it says, the one who's hanged on the tree is cursed by God. When Paul quoted that scripture, he said, cursed is the one who's hanged by the tree. But he didn't say, by God. And that was by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Why did Paul intentionally ignore the word by God? Can anybody help? I tell you why. Because what Paul was trying to tell us this. When Jesus was hanged on a tree, who was not bearing his own curse, because he's not the one who sinned against God. When Jesus was hanged on a tree, who was not cursed by God himself, but he was bearing the curse of the broken law that you and I deserve, that you and I have inquired. He was just our substitute on that cross, and he wore bore our curse, but he was not cursed by God himself, because he never committed a sin, he never broke the law of God amen, and that's exactly that's precisely how Jesus has purchased us from the curse of the law he came down, he went to the cross and on the cross he took your curse and my curse that we deserve, that we earned, because we have broken the law of God, and on that very cross he has become a curse for us you know why, so he can purchase us and get our get us under from under that cruel master that is called the law amen christ has redeemed us has purchased us from the curse of the law how did he do it by becoming a curse for us on the cross amen this is how we are purchased by the blood that price that was paid so there will be a transfer of ownership was the very blood that he has shed on the cross. Amen? A couple of things here, and then we'll close. Remember the word literally means transfer of ownership. Money paid, so there will be a transfer of ownership, okay? So what does that mean? It means as follows. What Paul was trying to tell us is this. We were slaves under the cruel master that is called the curse of the law. That we have to be 100% holy 100% of the time. And no one could ever, ever fulfill that curse. And that cruel master was just ruling over us and he would have never let go of us. We were condemned before God because of that cruel master. But Jesus came from heaven. He went to the cross. He took our place. He was our substitute. He took our curse on the cross. And when he did that, he paid his own blood so he can be our owner from that, from, from that point forward. So he can be our master from that point forward. You guys follow me? What Paul was telling us this. When Jesus died on the cross. His, his redemption. The, the money that was paid. The blood that was paid on the cross. Is not so we can be free. So from the curse of the law. So we can live any way we want. Does that make sense? We're going to be under a different master. The only difference is this. This new master. He's a great master. He's a loving master. He's a merciful master. He's a good Master is not a cruel master like the law. Amen? And you guys have any wild idea what his name is? His name is Jesus. He's our master now. Amen? So when we say that we are redeemed from the curse of the law by the blood of Jesus, we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you are free to live any way you want. No, no, no. Not at all. Now you are a slave to Jesus. He's your Lord now. You still don't have the freedom to do whatever you 
seems right to you. It's just you transfer the ownership. You left your old cruel master, and you came now under the umbrella of a merciful good master. Amen? That's why Paul multiple times says, you have been purchased with the blood. Therefore, you are not your own. You, you, you don't do whatever it seems right to you anymore because you don't belong to yourself. You don't own yourself to live any way that is right for you. You have been purchased with the blood, and that is the blood of Jesus. Now he is your Lord and he is your master. Amen? Every, almost every single uh, epistle, as far as I know, Paul starts, he's saying, Paul, what? A bond servant of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. Paul knew that. Almost all his epistles start saying, not Paul a friend of God, which he was. Not Paul a child of God, which he was. But he says Paul is what? A bond servant of Christ. He is your master now because he paid for you on the cross. He owns you by the virtue of the blood that he, but he jet on the cross so he can buy you out from that cruel master that is called the law. Amen? So let me ask you a question. This might not be pleasant to a lot of people. When Jesus say, go and share the gospel, go and preach the gospel, how much of an option do you have at this point? None. Nothing. What if I don't like it? It's just not my personality. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't like it when people reject me. How much options do you have? You are not your own to do what is good for you or what is convenient for you. You are him. He paid for you on the cross. You're his. He said, go share the gospel. You go share the gospel. I don't like it. It doesn't matter if you like it or you don't like it. It doesn't matter if it's convenient or inconvenient. It doesn't matter if people will reject you or mock you. It doesn't matter if you be well received or people will make a, a, so much fun of you. It doesn't matter because you're not your own. You are his. And he said, go and tell. Then guess what you have to do? Go and tell. Amen? And I'm going to close with this. This scripture in uh, Revelation 5, 9. Let me just read it one more time. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the, the seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you have purchased people to your God. You know the word slain? I looked it up real quick. and It's not a big thing. It actually means murdered. It means butchered. It means maimed. It is violently killed. This word slain is not like, you know, somebody got a shot and, uh, you know, gunshot and they died. Literally, the word means he was butchered on the cross for you and me. Butchered on the cross for you and me. He was so disfigured. That's what Isaiah said about him. He said that Jesus on the cross was so disfigured that you cannot even tell this is a human being. This is how disfigured he was on the cross. You look at him, you know, is this a human being? It doesn't look like a human being because he has been so disfigured on the cross. Why did he go through all of that? Why did he go to that cross? Why he was butchered and slain and violently murdered and so disfigured you cannot tell he's a human being. You know why? So he can purchase you and me. From that cruel master that is called the curse of the law. I don't know about you. If you're trying to reach out to God today through your good works, guess what? You are under a curse. But today there is a good master who loved you so much that he chose the cross. He chose to be butchered and disfigured on your behalf. So he can be your master. And he's a good master. He's not a cruel master. Amen?
Let's close our eyes and pray.